Alright everybody, why is my... Whatever, we're going. Welcome to the Eric Lang Show. Our guest today, Richard Schiff. Richard, how do you... I feel like it's really echoey in here. Does it sound echoey to you guys? Well, it's my coffee uh, tin. One, two, one, two. To give you a sense of place, Richard has a, a half liter swell bottle with hearts on it. It's also a percussion instrument. <laughs> Filled with homemade coffee. Homemade, uh, homemade. I wouldn't say you refused my offer for coffee, but you did a soft pass. You had. I think it's safe to use the word refuse. <laughs> I mean, one way or another, it's a it's a rejection. When you when you meet people that don't know what you do, what do you say? That's usually how I like to introduce people. I don't say anything. You, when they're like, "What do you do?" Oh, I um, I it depends on on how pissed off I am at the question. <laughs> you know, do you I'll find say, it offensive? Sometimes I'll say I'm 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 uh, one of those guards that stands out of stands outside the the uh, Buckingham Palace. Oh, that's good. And they buy that. Really, even with the beard? Um, they don't have beards. I'm pretty sure they're all shaven. Really? Like they're in the military. Are they are they with the Yankees? Why do they uh, have to shave? <laughs> Wait, do the Yankees have to shave? Yeah, Yankees can wear mustaches. You're a Yankees fan wearing a Yankees hat today. I I've am. seen in most interviews you either wear the Yankees hat or you have it sitting next to you. Yes. Is that intentional? <laughs> Is that? <laughs> it's my hat. <laughs> Where else am I going to put it? I'm is not going it usually to sit just on for it. the uh, baseball season, or you wear it all year? No, you know, I, I'm a hat guy, um, mostly because uh, you know I don't want. We're here in LA. I don't want my head to to burn. Because yeah. there's no hair on it. <laughs> so I, um, uh, but I've always worn. I've always, even when I had a full head of hair, I, I liked hats. <clears throat> and um, I went through a phase of uh, really kind of cool hats that I liked, and then I just went. There's nothing like a Yankee hat. <laughs> and so I, uh, I just I'm just wearing this these days. Right. What was your coolest hat that you remember? I had a leather kind of. I don't know how to describe hats. Like if I go into a store and say, <laughs> uh, "What kind of hat do you want?" I went. I don't know. You got to show me everything you have. I need a visual. I don't. I, I know what a Stetson is, but I never wore one. Right. Um, it was just a leather hat with a short brim. Kind of like a newsy cap. <clears throat> Not a newsy cap. No, it was more like a gangster hat. Oh. Something that you would see on the lower, lower east side in the old days or little little. So like a tiny brim that goes all the way around. A little brim with kind right. of a square top. Like a pork pie, I think that's what they call it. Really? I don't know. I'm not a milliner. A porky uh, pie? Pork pie. A pork pie. I think so. <laughs> we could Google it, but it'd be... In England, it would be porky pie because right. they like to put E at the end, in the end of it. Right? I find that annoying. I know. Like brekkie. You want breakfast, it's like, do you, would you like some Yeah. Brekkie? You want a Sammy? Sammy. <laughs> do you want to... Uh, Never mind. So, um, so I, here's I'll, since you get annoyed when people ask you what you do, do you really? Uh, no, sometimes uh, I, I answer uh, directly. <laughs> um, uh, it's a question I, <clears throat> excuse me, rarely ask anyone else. Right. Um, I don't. I don't need that information to kind of assess danger. Has that always been your? Practice, or is that a newer thing? Well, you know, I was just, you know, what's coming to mind is I was just back in New York and, uh, you know, like a magnet, I would go to the softball fields in Central Park on 63rd Street, the Hexer Fields, and um, found this, my friend Huey, who has been homeless for 14 years, and another friend of mine who worked for Bloomberg in the mayor's office and is now a consultant for a big PR, for a big, uh, I don't know, fashion company or something, came and met me there in a suit. And we would, and and Huey was there as he always is, and he was a ringer when he was young. He now has a full gray beard, and looks the part of a homeless man. He's he's, he's stays in an SRO on Forty Second Street, but which is good, 
Because I would run into him every time I'm in New York, whether it's on Columbus Avenue or... I'd always run into Huey. What are the chances? I know. I know. Well, he's out on the street a lot. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. He's running into a lot of people. We were, go, we were reminiscing about the old days, the old subculture of, the, of softball, when we'd all come on Sunday. I got played in leagues all over the city, but on Sundays was pickup. And I'd bring my dog, who we talked about before he went on the air, and he'd run free because everybody knew him. And Richard has two dogs similar to Snowball, for those of you. No, this is my, my this dog. This is a previous dog. My dog, Lyle, the Manhattan Pound dog, Mutt. Yeah, who jumped um, into your arms at first sight. Exactly. And he would, he would be running free. Everybody would play with him and feed him all day long. So I'd play ball from 10 in the morning to like 8 o'clock at night, through the rain, whatever, you know, it didn't matter. And... And there was a subculture, a, a group of us that would play. So people kept statistics for the season, um, and we'd play pickup games. And the winner stays on the field, and the loser, you know, uh, they have to pick of the, all the guys that are waiting. And we used to play all day long, take a break, do the Sunday crossword, play some chess, whatever. That was my Sunday in New York. And the thing that we, Huey and I were reminiscing about was that no one knew what anyone else did. So you had, later on, I would find out that stockbrokers and financiers and lawyers were there and, and musicians. Every now and then you'd hear about a musician because when they, you know, when they jammed their finger, they would go, oh God, the Philharmonic's going to be pissed at him because he can't play the violin tonight, you know. Um, and homeless people and, uh, you know, people on the down and outs. But we all kind of came together every Sunday and just did that. Figured out the Sunday crossword was the only intellectual conversation we had. <laughs> Otherwise, it was baseball, softball, and, and hanging out in the park. And uh, I've always loved that. I've always loved talking to people and not uh, necessarily caring what they did. It's kind of sad because golf, I don't think, has that in you, the same way. They know they're golfers when they show up. What do you mean? Well, I think... Many more barriers to getting to that point, in a way. Well, well you I mean, mean when you're playing socially. Yeah, yeah well, I mean... Everybody knows everything. Baseball... You're you're playing in a public park almost without question, right? Mm-hmm. Golf, it's like, well, first of all, where's the course you're playing? That immediately tells you something. Right. And then I feel like it's much more common to hear the question in a round of golf. Yeah. Maybe it's a smaller group, whatever it is. Anyway, that sounds really beautiful. Here's, here, here's a, thank you. Well, here's an example. I like, when I first started, I picked up golf. You know, I grew up in New York, so I, I didn't know what golf was. And when it was on TV, I would go. I would just say, "Why isn't there a baseball or football game on?" <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't pick up a stick till I was forty-five or so. Really? Yeah. So, and when I first learned how to play, you know, I use that term loosely. I would go to the uh, the the, um, uh, the, muni- the munis here in town. So Encino, Balboa, or I learned early that Wilson Harding was a twelve-hour day. So I would go to, well, you know, Penmar, I would, you know, whatever. And it's kind of similar to hanging out in a New York bar. The only experience that replicated that for me in L.A., because you'd be paired or, or combined with three other people, and you didn't know, because I would go as a single. Right. I would go early in the morning as a single. I would tip the guys at the starter, so I'd cut the line. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> so I usually had a call time at like 1 o'clock or something. This is after you had had some success. Uh um, no, no uh, yeah, I guess so. Right. Everyone always recognized me from something at some point in LA right. once I started working. But, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, no, I, was like, I wonder if the West Wing had already started. I forget. But anyway, yeah, I think so. So when I picked up West the Wing game. West Wing was late 90s? Uh, started in 99. Right. And yeah, I, I was 40, 
94 when that started. So, okay. So it was about that time. So you picked up golf after you got a job in the White House. Uh, well. All right, battery died. So now we're back. Sorry about that. It's okay. Where were we? I don't know. Do you have ADD like I do? Um, um, I was in the middle of a story. Uh, you were talking about uh, getting into golf, sort of parallel yeah, to so West I, Wing? So I didn't pick up a stick till I was four. Yeah, so for West Wing was about the time when I... So I was recognized by the starters and, and from other stuff as well. But anyway, uh, I, I get uh, matched with three other guys, uh, sometimes uh, women. And um, I kind of love that nobody, you know, eventually would find out what people did. And, you know, I was playing with a priest, as it turns out, a retired admiral some other day. One time I went to Roosevelt, which is the nine. where I learned to play golf. Really? Yeah. Um, that was the you know the nine hole up in the hills, and um, I can't got there really early, and saw two guys literally wake up out of the back of their truck, <laughs> and take out two, two ba- two bag two golf bags, which you can tell they picked up at garage sales all across the country. Right. You know, like uh, I mean, they they might have had a mashie in there at some right. point. You know, picked up in Oklahoma or something, and uh, I ended up playing with them. And you know, they're great guys, and I asked them their story, and they were they were just basically driving around the country and picking up golf when they could, and picking up jobs when they could. Very Vegas like, you know. It's so interesting that you remember those experiences because I would imagine that you have, you know, famous people, right? You have a tremendous amount of interaction with just people wherever you go. With people, yeah. Oh, hi! I have a connection to you, <clears throat> and you're like, I, I, you know what I mean? So it's interesting that you can. <clears throat> Have these isolated golf memories. Well, this this happened more often before I was recognized as much as I am now. So uh-huh. now, now because there's so much stuff that people can can recognize, it's rare that I play golf and someone doesn't, you know, know uh, know me from something. So the conversation is different. And yeah, and uh, do you find that annoying? I, I don't find it. An, an, I, I used to find it overwhelming, hmm. especially the first episode of, of fame that doesn't fade like I would do a movie and for three weeks people at airports would you got ate by the dinosaur how are you <laughs> five year old kid and, yeah. this is your first project you're talking about no so, oh, that was uh, Jurassic Park Jurassic Park yeah. Lost World oh, okay. I was confused Park. you got cast in that after your first right that was I thought Spielberg saw that and then so and what thanks mixed up uh, your first project that was your second project no, no, no. That was I was I was already working quite a bit okay. uh, when that happened. But strike, Spielberg cast strike one for me. Spielberg cast me. Uh, I did an audition uh, for a, a show that I didn't know he was producing. Turns out he was producing. Right. And uh, it was a part that I didn't think was right for me, but it was beautifully written. So I went and uh, auditioned for it in pouring rain in Chatsworth. Almost turned around halfway there. And I was like, this is one scene. I don't want to do one scenes anymore. That was like a conversation I had with my agent. I'm tired of I want two scenes. <laughs> that was your big dream. That was my goal at the time. And he, my, my agent called me and said, well, it's just one scene, but it's really good. And, and it was a part of an agoraphobic jazz freak who I thought Scatman Scruthers should have played. And um, I walked into the audition and through the rain and uh, there was an 80-year-old black man there, and I said, congratulations. <laughs> and then I, um, I went and auditioned, and uh, I, I really, I went in because a lot of times I just want to uh, hear how these words w- come out of me after working on them and finding that the writing is compelling and beautiful. Right. 
And this was the case. It was a beautiful character. So, and it came flying out. I have to say, it was like, wow, I didn't even expect that. And uh, got no reaction from the casting director, which pissed me off. <laughs> you she, expecting like a high five. She, she took the tape and left. And uh, um, I left, went home angry, as, as usual, and uh, got a call saying, not only did you get the part, but Spielberg wants you for his next movie. And apparently the casting director, whose name just popped out of my head, but she um, took out the tape and went directly to the next room where Spielberg was and uh, showed him the tape because she was excited to show him. So that's how that part came along. But um, getting back to golf... Wait, I feel like I need to just I need to get something out. Yeah. out. We play golf together, and you may I'm, you might remember when I tell you the details of it. But it's funny because you've described yourself now twice as an angry person. Is and that I, true? Did I throw my clubs? You you didn't throw your clubs, but <laughs> we were playing with Doctor Parent in Ojai. Oh, and I don't. And I had I looked very different at the time. I think this is when I first started playing golf. Were you taller? Uh, was I taller then? Yeah. Uh, I maybe thought I was. Uh, I've since come down to my actual height. Five eleven and seven eighths, um, and so points point at point nine point, point, <clears throat> point nine nine nine. So we were playing golf, and um, I was with a, a, a old friend of mine who now lives in Ohio, and um, we we were on I think one of the par threes on the back, and you know how it's kind of a blind shot, and I uh, I didn't know you were hitting, and I probably also wasn't totally aware of all the etiquette of golf, which you you know were, and. Um, I think I yelled or something like that, or like I, I did. I might have sneezed, or I laughed, or I did something, but I couldn't see that you were in the bunker, literally in your top of your backswing. And um, <laughs> anyway, I disrupted your swing, and I think you, you know, you yelled a couple curse words. You can curse on this if you want. I don't know if you're at you, not at you, not at me, but no. but it was. No, I just cursed because it was a bad shot. That you yeah. yelling had nothing to do. <laughs> With the mishit, I guarantee. So that was your own narcissism, Eric. Right, yeah. yelling at you. Yeah, I was responsible for for Richard's uh, miss. No. no, I don't think I would have. Uh, I don't. Ta- I take my rage out on myself because right. it's an easy target. Right, <laughs> you're always there. Um, and you know, it's, it's it's the way I am with golf. It's weird. I'm I'm very like internal, and like people will gamble, and you you want in. I go yeah yeah whatever whatever. I, 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 but it still doesn't make me care what you do on the golf course. Right. I just don't care what anyone else does. I don't care if they beat me. I don't care if I beat them. I'm battling my inner demons. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's an epic battle every time I play golf. So there's so much to, to occupy my mind. I don't need the adrenaline of trying to beat some other guy right. in order to play this game. Yeah, I don't really enjoy competitions either. They definitely, they, they just make it that much harder. Now, Peter Gallagher is a friend of mine. He's an actor who you probably never never heard of. Never heard of. I've heard the name, but I couldn't place it. Uh, he's in so many great Robert Oldman movies. So I'm in the player. Recently. No, I was kidding. <laughs> you do know. Uh, <laughs> Someone's at the door. Someone's at the the door. Multi Multi. Um, you know Peter Gallagher. I need a face. Uh, he was. Oh. In the, I've seen the player a bunch of times. The player. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, which guy is he? He was the uh, rival head of the studio. studio exactly. yeah. yeah, the rival to oh, Tim Robbins. he's a handsome guy. He was, was an he OC. In, was he in Sex and the City then? No. Yeah, no, you're thinking of Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Right, yeah. And he so, was the guy smooth. that uh, Laura Chandrakamo had an affair with. Anyway, he's a very well-known actor, so I was kidding. Sorry. But um, <laughs> uh, he's a good friend of mine, and we're golf partners. And basically, we get on each other's nerves, although we uh, love each other. 
Um, but we really get on each other's nerves. He's very slow and methodical. And, oh, yeah. You know, when he sets up to putt, he'll take three practice swings, and then he'll do the whole body thing with his feet and kind of, you know, penguin his way up to the ball, and I'm literally like falling asleep. And, um, uh, and I'm too fast for him. Interesting. You know, so literally, he said, I don't, I don't think we should be in the same car anymore. <laughs> so like, we broke up. You're like a golf divorce. And, um, uh, but, and so our, our, our golf game is really just a very extended rehearsal for the Sunshine Boys when we decide we're old enough to do that play, which is two old men constantly bickering. Right. Um, uh, Where do you guys the, play? What was the point of this? What do you get? Uh, there is no point. Where do you guys play in LA? Um, uh, Mountain Gate. Oh, okay. Which is I've the, never played there. It's the ghetto course of Los Angeles. It's kind of ghetto. You drop your cash, you play that day. It's 27 holes. It's 27 holes up by the Getty Center and the Skirball Center. Yeah. Um, uh, it's on a garbage dump, which is <laughs> not a metaphor. It's actually on a garbage dump. But and you would never smell it. Well, the methane gets released and the, and the greens will change from day to day. No way. Yeah, so you can't even, you know, the greens are impossible because it's mount, it's on a mountain. So it's that optical illusion of, it. wait a second, it's supposed, the ball's supposed to bend towards down. Right. Uh, but apparently it doesn't sometimes. It right. bends up um, uh, because of this, the illusion that you have from being on a mountain. And, it, you know, when you, when, you see, when you see, when you think you see this, it's real, it, you know, curving, uh, the, the grade going that way, but the mountains over here, and everything goes to the freeway, and you, you just, it just messes up your pup, your putting. So it's it's um, it's a t- and it's and there's noise like we were talking about the noise outside the the gardeners and the and the house maintenance. Well, this course maintenance they have the reason why unemployment is three point nine percent in this country is because everyone who didn't have a job is making noise at Mountain Gate <laughs> on some kind of machine. Um, so it drives me insane. Uh, but there's a lot of good guys there. Don Cheadle, Don Cheadle plays there, and Sam Jackson plays there, and people who I don't know what they do play there. Yeah, some non-actors, some uh, regular folk. Do you live near it? Do you live over there? No. No. So I picked a golf course that's a pain in the ass to get to and a pain in the ass to play. Do you live over here? Do you live in Hollywood? To to just to just to increase the the level of frustration that I have with this game. <laughs> well, it's really... interesting you said that you're you know you're not distracted by what anybody else does in the golf course. So, but for you, do you keep score or for yeah, you is it I just can't... like the pleasure of it? No, no, no. I keep score. Yeah. Um. I, and I can't help it. Like I cannot have a card, but I always know my score. I'm a mm. numbers guy. You have to add it up when you walk off eighteen. I just, it's just already added up. Yeah, it's already. I know it's added up on every hole, um, and it's easier now because I my my handicap is going upwards. So now I play off bogey, so I can go. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm four under bogey, or I'm six over bogey, or I'm. Oh, that's smart. So you you base it on that, and then you just you. So you're not saying I'm sixteen over on the sixteenth hole. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, no, because I've I've counted it up. Right, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Right, I'm a statistics guy, and I and I wish I wasn't, but I uh, you know for this particular game, um, I know like the times when I'm uh, breaking eighty, which is a number of times now, but I know what I have going into the eighteenth. So when you're breaking eighty and you're walking, this is at Mountain Gate. I don't know what the I guess the eighteenth hole is different every time. 
Because it's three nines, right? So yeah, but you, pl- I mean, you tend to play Lake North, those two courses, the most, because South is one of the stupidest courses in the history of, <laughs> of, of, of thinking. Noted. Thinking of planning. Well, it's, uh, there, there are about six really nice holes, but um, uh, two funky holes, and one is, is called officially the stupidest hole in golf. <laughs> it's a par five that is a dog leg, a sharp right angle dog leg left. Right. But that dog leg is 200 yards out. <laughs> so it's a 580 yard hole. And if you go over that 200 yards, you go down oh, the mountain. Like a cliff. You go off a cliff. You're not out of bounds, but you're standing, uh, perp- if you stand perpendicular to the grade of that, <laughs> of the lie, your nose will be hitting the ground. In other words, it's a sharp, sharp angle. Right. And so. You know, the only shot for me is a three would uh, try to get at the break of the um, of the bend of the of the dog leg. Then it's another three would. So it's two three. And then if you hit it any, if you hit it left, you're out of bounds. If you hit the center of the fairway, you're going to roll off to the right into the rough, possibly behind a tree. <laughs> um, so you have to hit, hit it directly left center so that it rolls to the right side of the fairway. Um, and then the green uh, is somewhat stupid. Less stupid because they redid it, but they didn't get smart into the equation ever in, in, their, in their planning of it. It sounds like a, so sort of you, a recurring it, nightmare I might have. And I've shot, I've shot 38s on that, on that 9, um, but with you know the, the level of fear you have at the ninth <laughs> tier, tee box, is, is, it's, it's equivalent to the to sawgrass or the, you know, is it the 17th? Yeah. You know, it's where if you're not that precise, but for a par five, that shouldn't be illegal. For a par three, it's understandable. Yeah. One shot. And then there's a drop zone. Yeah. I, I played uh, El Cab the other day. It kind of, some I, holes reminded me of that. I played it the other day too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. On Saturday? No. Oh. I, oh, I, I played a charity event there on Monday. Okay. Or yeah, the last Monday. I think. Do you like charity events? I I certainly like the fact that they raise money for some good causes. For a James Conn's um, uh, charity that uh, helps people uh, rehab um, and stay clean of alcohol and other substances. And is that is that you? Do you do that too? Do I stay clean? Yeah. I I don't drink. Well, a lot of actors. I don't drink. No, I don't drink very much. But did you? You don't drink very much. No. You never had like a. I'm gonna either kill myself or get sober moment. No, tobacco is my only vice. Right. Uh, that and and. Um, shit. Oh, well, that's my only vice. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Um, um, uh, yeah. So uh, no, I've never had. Uh, I've never. I, knowing uh, that I was an addictive personality, and that I would, you know, I tried everything. I think once. LSD? Yeah. Really? Twice. Twice. <laughs> I really enjoyed LSD. It's pretty fun. Jeff's never done it. Don't do this no, at no. home. <laughs> well, this was back in 1970. Right. Uh, when LSD was LSD. I don't know what it is now, so I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Do you like cookies? Uh, I love cookies, and I'm trying to resist eating the one because I'll Why not? the other four. <laughs> oh, I'll help you. I'll have I'll one. So I'll these, want to. These are gluten-free. I don't know if you're... If you're oh, oh, I like are you, or how, how LA are you? That's a good question. Do you eat um, gluten? Um, I, I stay away from uh, gluten. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why people make fun of other people who don't eat gluten, but it's pretty... I don't know. It's not good for you. 
Mm-mm. Yeah. Is it because of uh, digestion? Is that the? Uh... I think we're just not supposed yeah. to eat flour. Oh, oh there's coconut in here. Exactly, coconut sugar, coconut oil. Oh, this is really good. Almond flour. Yeah. Almond flour. It's pretty good, right? This is. Um, who made these? My, I did. Well, Amira baked them, but I made the dough. My girlfriend gave me the recipe, and I passed it off as my own for long enough. Probably three months. <laughs> Everybody was like, "The cookies are amazing," and I was like. Thank you. These are amazing cookies. They're really good, right? Oh, they're really good. And these are missing. Sometimes I put like a little salt on top. <clears throat> and then you just, it's all away. Salt, maybe cinnamon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tried cinnamon, but no. I, I sort of was, um, I tried the cinnamon and my girlfriend was like, why are you fucking with the recipe? And I felt like I was, you know, in trouble. I understand that. <laughs> uh, she figured out. She figured out the perfect cookie, and yeah. we're trying to improve it. Yeah, it was like I had literally made fun of her parents or something. And I'm tasting a little salt in here. There's a little bit in the mix, ah. but sometimes I do. I paid a lot for the flake salt. You know, what I mean, it comes out. Oh, no, like it's a, nice. You have a couple of like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I just pinch them up, you know. Yeah. I almost want to pause it and go do it, but it's fine. We'll, come, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it after. You can do it at this stage of the cookie. Yeah, you I want might, to do it when it's warm, so it warm is better. Sticks in, there. but you could just like. I mean, these came out of the oven twenty minutes ago. So. Pat, pat them in there, dude. We have. I have like so many things oh, I want to talk to you about that. I'm good. That I'm eating another cookie. We have <laughs> so many things in common. You dropped out of high school. Not really. Not really. It's a lie. Not a lie. Just a misrepresentation. <laughs> um, it was just from IMDb. They have the worst bio I've ever. Is it really? Read. Well, I just oh, assumed it was from your um, PR people. No. IMDb started and some dude somewhere decided to write a bio. No, it was Wikipedia. Was it Wikipedia? Yeah. Oh. Well, I'll go adjust your Wikipedia for you after this. Really? Yeah, just, what, 1%? I, 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 <laughs> what's that? I'll be your manager, your PR, whatever you need. 1%? <laughs> um, dude, you, you, hang on. You are, I, I really admire you because you had... Such a long career. You've had so many amazing projects. You are just a guy's guy. You, I don't know where. Where did you get this jacket? You're wearing. He's wearing a fleece zip up that says the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. You're and a tank top. Well, because I dropped out of high school, I want to wear something impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you're like you're not like caught up in the L.A. style scene. My son went to University of Chicago, and they asked, me, and I went and visited. Um, him and he said I have to warn you there's a lot of West Wing fans here and they want to meet you and then I got invited to uh, go to a symposium at the University of Chicago Institute of Politics which David Axelrod former Obama advisor Mm. uh, now runs and we did a symposium on TV and politics and so Bo Willimon of um, House of Cards House of Cards thank you um, uh, and uh, somebody from Veep and somebody, you know, so we did a, a big symposium there and they gave me this as as a gift. Oh, that's cool. And this used to look really nice, but um, I, wa- I washed it and then, <laughs> and then got it dirtier. And um, I used to put this on when I played golf and people were, wow, you're really dressing up. <laughs> now it doesn't look like that. Now it looks like a fire island kind of throw me on. It looks like I got that at a thrift store because I was cold. Yeah. <laughs> and I have clothes like that. <laughs> you do. I mean, even your car is super low key. Like it's just you know, it's a, it's car. 
I don't like that. I don't like. I don't. I, my car inside of my car is gets trashed. But you have. I mean, forgive me. So I don't you, want to drive around in a fancy car. You I'm could have any car you want. I'm going to bang it. I've been to thirty to forty accidents in my day. Really? I used to drive a cab in New York. I drive very aggressively. Um, very aggressive, <laughs> including in and out of my garage, which is how I damaged that car. Right. And um, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, drop ca- drop coin on something really beautiful that I don't care that much about. I just want to get there. So, what do you spend your money on? Uh, golf. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it for me. And then I let my wife do uh, the rest of the spending. So she picked a really um, stupidly big house um and um how big are we talking madison square garden <laughs> it could see eighty thousand. it could see that we had a um, like stupidly big six thousand square feet eight thousand just too big um we're a family of four and okay. because of the house we have had i've had one nephew living with us now for 10 years another nephew lived with us for six years you know on uh with with no contribution except you know do the dishes right and um that's really nice of you. Uh, and sisters-in-laws and brothers-in-laws and and so on. So it's, uh, um, you know, and, and people have gotten sick have stayed there. And we took care of my mother-in-law there. And, you know, so it's a hospice, hospital, um, you know, um, uh, clinic and, um, and home. Um, so I actually enjoy that part of it. I enjoy that we have a place big enough so that people who... Um, Need a break from life and need a, need to rest a little bit in our family. Get to get to come to LA and just you know sit by the pool and and chill. And um, my nephew's working on something big for ten years, and you know he puts all of his money, does work, he puts it all in his start start up, and um, you know God bless him. So uh, and he he's a great cook. He's a vegan, you know, raw guy. And he'll, he'll cook meat and fish every now and then, but he's an amazing cook. His brother's a professional chef. Really? Yeah. And um, so it's a ple- and they're a pleasure to have around. So. That's a huge contribution. I mean, I'm out of town a lot, so to have men at the house, um, uh, you know, just looking after things is, is helpful. So yeah. that's, that's the plus part of having a big stupid house. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like kind of a... <laughs> I think it's been around for generations. Uh, like you know, like centuries. Like big and stupidity. Having stupidity. No, no. Like, <laughs> like um, you know, having like a fire with tents around it. You know, like yeah. Well, it's uh, my wife is that way. My wife's family is very tight. They're Irish American Catholic, and uh, they're massive, um, in, not in weight but in size and number. So she was the youngest of nine, um, and they're very, very tight and very loving. Family, so they're all always welcome, mm. you know, and um, and some people off the off the family tree who've needed a a, a place to hang for a while have also stayed there. So I just uh, I just come up with a question. So it, maybe it doesn't annoy you when people recognize you, but does it annoy you when they call you Toby? Yeah, I would imagine. Well, it's been what twelve years since it since it ended. Twelve years this month, I think. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, it was 06, 07. That was 06. Yeah. Who else? You won an Emmy. Who else won an Emmy on the show? Allison and Brad and Six. John Spencer. So four out of, and what was the ensemble? Eight? Hmm? How many people were in? How do, you, how do you categorize what's the ensemble cast? Whoever gets a regular contract. So how many, how many was that? Like 10? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it was originally six or seven. 
and Dulé was added, and Janelle Maloney, Maloney was added. Mm. And I guess uh, Stocka Channing had a deal. She wasn't in every show. Mary Louise Parker was on for a couple of years as a, I guess a recurring, but um, I don't know, we considered her part of the cast. I mean, people who came back a lot were considered part of the cast. Why did you want to leave in the end? Um, I, uh, well, I, I, went, I was there till the end. Right. But didn't you, weren't you like, I'm going to leave? And then they're like, actually, the show's over. And you're like, final stay? Um, I, th- I had pitched to Aaron Sorkin and Tommy Shlami, who were the original guys, um, Tommy being the director, producer, and Aaron the writer, of course. Um, I had pitched them in year two or three. I said, when we have our re-election, we should lose. We should go out and we should go out on a high and shock everybody. And wait, just, wait, wait. I'm going to lose the re-election so that our show would... That was and the that's, story that's, line, that's, yeah. the, that's the end. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I, I didn't think we could maintain the level of, of potential brilliance that I think we had the first few years. Every episode had the potential to be amazing, which is a very frustrating place to live in that, uh, in your work, in that every single scene and every single episode... Um, you had to reach for your best because you had potential brilliance, you know, uh, set up for you. And we didn't reach it all the time, but we did reach it at times. And um, but you're always striving for that. And it's you know eighty hour weeks and and eighty. Oh yeah, seventy eighty hour weeks. How? Why? Fourteen, eighteen, fourteen to eighteen hour day. Eighteen times five. No, you're right. That's almost that's 100. ninety. That's ninety. Yeah, so we didn't do 18 all the time. That's what you shoot on a good day. Huh? <laughs> that's what, in golf, that's your score on a good day. 18? A bad day. 18? You said you said bogey golf. Oh, eight, no. Yeah, oh, 18 over. 18 over. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the mid-80s. All right. Uh, if I shoot 90, I'm really, really upset and angry and, and, uh, and murderous. That's me with 83. 83, I'm like, you devil. 83 is a, is, a, is a decent day, but then you go, I should have shot a 78. Right. Why is that? What, what is your favorite part about golf? I know that's a hard question. Do you want me to give you a different question? Um, it's not a hard question. It's just one I don't I haven't really thought about. Question. I think you got to take that out. Um, the hardest thing, I mean, the thing I like most about golf, I, I, it's probably always been... Uh, the guys I, I now play with and I really enjoy some of the friends that I've made and, and meeting new people. Uh, I used to love, wherever I went, I would bring my sticks. And so, um, you know, uh, in, I was in Munich and, you know, my wife's book was being published in Germany and I, I just was there. So I brought my sticks and would go out and play and meet these people, you know. And in Miami, I was working and, and went to the uh, Miami uh, South Miami Beach Club, which is really too expensive for a muni, uh, but and met these this hairdresser from New York and this guy from France, played in St Andrews. I took my son up there to look at the university because I wanted him to go there so that I could play more golf there. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> he got in, chose University of Chicago, where you can play golf three weeks out of the year. Yeah, and um. Uh, you know, and went out and met all these people from all over the world, you know, um, from Japan and from, you know what I mean? And I loved that part of it. I loved, um, and internationally I'm less recognized if I do that now, 
So I really enjoy that. So I went to London and Dublin recently, uh, and in the rain played, I think, seven days worth of golf. And I played at Port Marnock Links, and, and the guy, uh, Barry Gibney, who owns the famous pub Gibney's in Malahide. Um, and and we had such a good time that, and then I went and did an event, an actual West Wing podcast event in Dublin. And that night, my friend and I went to uh, Dibney's, and he was giving me like $300 shots of this famous whiskey and telling me stories till five o'clock in the morning. You know, it wouldn't have happened without a round of golf. You know what I mean? And that, there were characters. I mean, there, everyone that was in that bar that night was worth their own movie. They were characters. So I love that part of it. And I feel like we can just end the podcast there. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, I feel the same way. I think, what is it about the Irish, though? They're better at telling stories than Americans. Do you know it's what I mean? Not, no, no, no. They're not better. They just don't stop. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you one story that Barry Gibney told me that night because it, none of it made sense. <laughs> But he thinks of something new in the middle of a sentence, and he starts a whole new story. Right. And um, and, I, and the point is that you're there, sharing an experience. Right. With each other, and uh, the stories literally go right through your head. Every now and then, the Irish will tell a good story. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So do you think, like, I mean, I know you've already told me a lot of anecdotal golf experiences. Is there one for you that kind of sticks out I, people ask me this all the time and I, I find it a difficult question to answer and I, and I feel bad giving the same answer multiple times but is there a golf experience for you that sticks out as being um, extra memorable well the, the first thing that comes to mind is my low score oh really tell me um, uh, somebody had a wedding somebody very rich had a wedding and flew us out to uh, um, Nassau Bahamas and at the one club there, the the golf course, I forget the name of the course. This is how bad I am. It's like a Fazio course, I think, right? Very possibly. <laughs> it's the one that uh, Beyonce has a house on. Okay. Whatever that is. Um, uh, anyway, windy, on a normal day, a windy course would be make it very tough. It wasn't windy. And I'm used to chipping out of Kakuya grass and clumps un, unevenly cut by the thousands of people who work at the Mountain Gate. <laughs> club uh and the rough was completely even um and the chipping around the green so i was chipping them in and chipping in one putting and i got it and i shot a 75 which was my low that's a good score it was a very nice score and i and i i literally chipped lipped out about three or four chips and and lipped out one or two putts oh so I had a I had a very good shot at shooting par or better. And so was that the day and of I was the killing, wedding? I was killing the ball that day. Yeah, just just pounding it. I was pounding it, and you know, uh, tee to green is always is always going to be a challenge to me. So it comes down to chipping and, and putting. And I could read the greens. It's probably Bermuda grass where it's kind of a true roll. Right. And um, and there was no wind, so uh, you know they went where I hit them. Right. Yeah. Was that the day of the wedding? I don't remember the wedding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was thinking it'd be funny if you went to the wedding and all you could talk about was it was the lip outs. It was very <laughs> it was very sweet though because the guy, the groom, and and the and the bride are are ridiculously rich, and they flew a ton of their friends over there. Some very interesting people, some not so much. But um, but he took all of them out, all who wanted to go golfing out. So we all went out together. So it was a coaching session, and so, and my friend had just picked up the game. So he was teaching, so I felt compelled to help him out in his teaching right. um, um, mission. And there was something about uh, simplifying the swing for people who were just doing it for the first time that I took into my own body. And... Um, and for and for some reason, usually when you talk about it, your swing disappears. There's a story. There's, I remember um, uh, sitting with um, Danny Aiello, and we were doing uh, City Hall, and we were doing a scene in a in a diner, and we had a long lighting break because they used to take hours and hours to light because they had the money to take the time to do it. And he and I were cracking each other up. And then at one point, we started talking about the acting process. Somebody was asking us. He was sitting there, whatever. And Danny was like, I don't think about it. I just do it. I don't think about it. I just, you know, it's just natural. It's just instinct. I just... And he comes in, and, and then he was telling stories about how this happened and that happened, and it just came to me, and I just did it. And then we started rolling, and it was gone. Whatever that instinct was that he's relied on since he started this, you know, when he, when he got out of being a Long Island Railroad PA announcer, which is what he was... Whoa! And then uh, got into the film business and was always great. Whatever that was, he lost it, and he couldn't remember lines, and he couldn't he just. And, and it was because, and, and I know, having observed it, it, it was because he was talking about it, and that happens a lot. If you talk about it at the wrong time, um, uh, especially if you rely on feel and, and instinct, um, there's a good chance you'll get in your head, and and your body will forget what it's supposed to do um so the but the opposite happened that day i was I, probably because i was making it as simple as i could because when people talk about you know drive you know put the balls too far forward and blah, 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 then you're right in your head right you know and and um it might help for one or two swings but now you're thinking about not where the ball's going but all the all the many 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 facets of a golf swing you know, if you start thinking about one, you'll end up thinking about 30 of them. There's too many. There's too many. And Do you have a swing thought uh, currently? What's your swing thought, swing thought du jour? A single swing thought? Are you, <laughs> are you down to one? <laughs> well, I try to have one. Like on, you know, wherever I'm at. And if that's not working, then I'll switch. A lot of times, uh, my chicken wing elbow will mm. be a thing. So I'll just tell myself to tuck it. Elbow um, down? Yeah. And, and that's already, I'm already in trouble. Because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the body instead of the ball. Yeah. So the the, um, it, yeah, I have to get into a good rhythm to start thinking real golf thoughts. Yeah. Because otherwise, I'm just, you know, right now I got injuries, I got shoulder injuries uh -huh. and neck injury, and so I keep pulling out of the swing. So I'm playing so badly right now that uh, it's hard for me to get back to. I want the ball to land there. When I first learned this game, I was doing a movie called, um, don't remember, with, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, ben Affleck and... Uh, oh, is that Forces of Nature? Yeah, was Forces that? of Nature. Yeah. Thank, <clears throat> thank you, thank you. And he didn't look that up. It was sitting here. No, he knows it. <laughs> it just popped um, into my head. Forces of Nature, which was shot all up and down the south um, in 190 degree heat. 
And uh, the location scout was was an ex-pro golfer, and he knew that I was, I just picked up to him. So this was a little before the West Wing. It was a few years before, I guess, when I first picked it up. And we went to some really hot southern course, and I think we were in Georgia at the time. Beautiful course. Uh, and he's telling me about, you know, course management and what he wants to do, because I'm asking him questions. And he's we're on a driving hall, fairly thin fairway. And he goes, you see that bump on the right just below the rock that's out of bounds? Um, I'm going to want to hit it there and feed it into the center of the fairway. And then he hit that little bump, and it trickled to the center of the fairway. I was like, wow, will I ever, ever do that? And I remember the first time I ever did that was in, out in the desert in Palm Springs, and I was playing by myself, six in the morning somewhere, mesquite something or other. Yeah. And, um, and I had a nice drive. And the grass there, the, the ball just sits right up because there's so much water, and the grass is well-maintained, something you don't get in the Muni courses here or at Mountain Gate. The ball's just sitting up on the fairway. It's like, wow. And then in those days, my five wood would go about 185. And now hopefully it goes further than that. But in those days, it was kind of exactly 185 on a good hit. And I I measured it out, and it was over water. There was water in front, and the land went around to the right, and the green was on the other side. So I said, it's a safe shot to hit that bump on the right side of the green, off the green, and with that angle, it should trickle right down to the hole. And I hit the exact spot I was aiming at. It was the first time that ever happened. And it trickled down to two feet, and I missed the putt for birdie. <laughs> Why is that? That, like, literally... I mean, because I relate. Like, we have relatively, for a long time, when you start playing golf, almost no control over where the golf ball yeah, is. Yeah, but every now and then you hit the one pure shot. So now I got into golf. This is how I got into it. This is interesting or not, but this is how I got into it. Um, I had done uh, a movie. The first movie or second movie I did back east was with a guy named Robert Litz, who was um, sadly no longer with us, but who was um, a really wonderful playwright. And he had written this movie. And he was a character. He was just a character. Sweet as could be, but a character. Smoked 100 cigarettes a day. Um, you know, uh, lived in, in the East Village. Uh, had a beard. Um, good-looking guy. Uh and uh, the last thing I expected him to say was, I used to be a golf hustler. I was, I was like, what? That's what I used to do. I, I made a living hustling golf. I was like, how did that work? And then he would explain it in a way I didn't understand because I didn't know the game. So when I came out to uh, something about, he would say, I, uh, I, uh, I, my partner, we were perfect partners because he was bad at this and I was bad at that. And he was good at this and I was good at that. Ham and egg. Yeah. So you know, now I understand what that means. And of course, you know, when you play pairs on the course, you have the right partner, you're in good shape. But um, <clears throat> and we were out in L.A. He had moved out here, and uh, that movie actually brought me out here for a screening, and I stayed for a while. It's turned out to be a long time. And, um, and I said, you've got to take me golfing. I just want to know what this game's all about. So we went to Wilson Harding, you know, um, locked out 12 hours of our day um and we played you know up and down the hills and uh i played a lot of baseball and um i had tendonitis in both elbows from all the baseball and softball i played 
And every time I swung, I would hit the ground with my club and the pain would shoot up my elbows and like through my body and into my brain. And it was, I, I would curse and scream because of the pain and because I, this is the stupidest fucking game I've ever played in my life. Um, and then he'd give me a tip and then I would connect and hit a nice, you know, a nice flight. That's that, that was somewhere I could find. Um, and I kept score just so that in case I ever picked up this game, I want to measure from my first game. It's 142. I was guessing 132. 142. That's pretty good for your first round. Well, no. That's <laughs> a, that's a, that's a, a nine, an eight and a half on every hole. Eight and a half on every hole. And, you know, lucky that there were kind people behind us. Um, and, uh, uh, but at the end of the 14 hour day, um, no, it was about five and a half, six hours. And I realized, having cursed the game for the last five hours, I had realized I did not have one other thought all day except how am I going to advance this ball to the spot I want it to go to. And I thought, there's value in that. Oh. There's value in that. And then I said, let me, let me think about this. And then I started going to the range and taking lessons from whoever, whatever... Whatever, whatever golf instructor who had slept in his truck that night at uh, at uh, Wilson Harding, you know, <laughs> um, these they were characters, and one was really good, and I started to hit the ball pretty hard uh, on occasion, um, and pretty well, and then and then, you know what the problem was? Eventually, I, I live over by Wilshire Country Club, and uh, and the editor of the West Wing lived on the course, and when I started to play. Uh, he would invite me, and I would play. Who's the editor? Uh, Bill. 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 <laughs> Bill Johnson. I know Bill. I'm a member there. Bill Johnson, who won an Emmy um, uh, with us. He's another one Bill. that won an Emmy. And he's directing a little bit now. And Anyway, uh, and they asked me to join because, of course, I was on a hit show. So they wanted me to join. Um, then for 10 years, they didn't want me to join. <clears throat> now they want me to join again. But um, anyway, uh, we, uh, uh, um, oh, and then I, I had met the head of the thing, the, the main pro, and he was also the head of the Little League in the, in the neighborhood where my son was playing. So I started talking to him about lessons, and I was going to take a lesson there. And he was busy, so I took a lesson with the other guy, a guy named Scott. It just so happened that he was a guy who believed in the left-loaded, not the stack and tilt, but a left-loaded swing, where you start on your left leg, and you start turned, and all you do is bring, you stay on that line, you bring your clubs Whoa. back, and you hit it. And That is weird. I did that uh, for the longest time, and every now and then it worked out really well. Then I did a, 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 um, a pilot called Who's Your Caddy? Um, where a couple of celebrities were hooked up with comedians, and we would combat, combat, you know, battle each other, and blah blah blah. And the coach uh, was a guy, um, Jim Benitos. If you could look him up, and and he kept, and he was doing this left leaning thing. This was years later after I kind of abandoned it, tried it, and uh, then he offered to give me some lessons on the house. And he uh, took quite a while, and then I took it out on the course and shot a 76. It was my first 76. 
I think it was the first time I broke 80. Within, within like four or five years of starting? Starting that swing? Uh, golf in general. Oh, I don't, I don't yeah. I'm a little longer than that probably. That's really good. Yeah, but I know, I know there's some guys out there that, you know. I mean, there's always. One year in and they're, you know, they're an eight handicap. But you speak of the <laughs> kind of the value that you got out of your first round of golf. And it kind of makes me want to dig deeper and be like, what can, can we look further at that? from a philosophical perspective, like why, I mean, that's like one way of looking at it, but is there another way of seeing, uh, like, like how do we all assign so much value to this? I mean, it's a ridiculous game, right? Do you agree? It's a stupid game. It's totally stupid. Do you know why there are 18 holes? Uh, it's relatively arbitrary. I think that it was like, what? Why? It was like a king, right? No. Oh, that's the 14 clubs. Tell me. I should know the answer to this. You fucking got me. Um, uh, no. Uh, sl- uh, slavery is because of kings. Um, no. Eight, there are 18 holes because there are 18 jiggers in a bottle of scotch. Ah. 18 shots to finish a bottle. Right. Do you know what golf means? Uh, well, I mean, the way I understand it is it's like a, a play on the Danish word. No. It's an acronym? Yeah. I don't believe that. It is. I don't believe it. It is. What does it mean? Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. Yeah, I don't know. Because in, in Denmark, they had, one, they had a game called Colvin, which was on ice, and it was like golf meets hockey kind of thing. They put uh, fishing holes in the, in the ice? Yeah, it was like, it was like <laughs> hockey, but there was no how, how interference. Do they, how do they recoup the, the, the puck? I think the hole was not very deep. I'm hoping. I don't know. I wasn't there. This was like 1400. <laughs> and what was it called? How do you spell it? Colvin. K-O-L-V-E-N. I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't, the truth is, Richard, I don't want to believe that it's true, that it's an acronym, because it's kind of fucked up. Well, um, yeah, but that's the derivation. So yeah. why lie about it? That's true. Um, the, I mean, the, the derivation was, you know, it's a way, I mean, that's what, uh, sadly or not, that's, that's a lot of what these clubs are still about. Well, and how do you deal with that? Because it sounds like you're the opposite. My club doesn't have any, any, any such rules. How do you find, because I'm a member at Wilshire and it's been a weird. You are? Yeah. Yeah. Why are you so surprised? Um, Because you are a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, uh, it's been an interesting experience for me and I've, and I've, I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Nick Nick Swisher, ex-Yankee, just joined Wilshire. Oh, did he? Yeah. I would know. I don't ask people what they do. Hey, yo. <laughs> yeah, but you'd recognize me. Would I? Um, no. I'm bad with that. Okay. I, 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 I'm bad with it. You should play with him. He's the smilingest, happiest, and most enthusiastic human I've ever met. Swisher. Nick Swisher. I'll find him. Um, but it's funny because I joined and I, was, I, I grew up in a normal middle class family. We were never, we didn't play golf. We weren't members anywhere, anytime, nothing, you know didn't weren't really members of anything actually didn't go to church or anything yeah um, and so you know i was into baseball as a kid and i found that to be really like a team environment anyway so golf was always very strange to me and 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 joining the country club more at the suggestion of you know my partner at the time was very strange do you need to do you have a phone call you need to go? no okay um anyway it's been a very interesting experience for me to come at golf more from your perspective of I really enjoy the randomness. I really enjoy meeting people that you could potentially like run into again and again and again. Um, 
and 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 I, anyway, it, it's funny because I was very resistant to the golf club private idea, yeah. but I found kind of like your softball game, your regular game. Like yesterday, I just showed up at the club and played twenty-seven holes with like seven different people throughout the day, and um, yeah, I'm playing with people who are wealthier than me, and you know, um, wealthier than you is that what you said? Yeah, I'm not wealthy, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, well, you're not um, now, and then you joined Wilshire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to work on that. I'm like, guys, uh, I'll mention you on the podcast. Can I get a discount? Um, are you a junior member? Are you that? Are you I'm a, yeah, I'm, a, I'm what's called an executive. Yeah. Which I don't understand. I'm the least. That means executive. I'll get you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> executive is an acronym for fuck you later. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's been really interesting because I find that experience now incredibly meaningful. The, the, yeah. the ability to go there and just almost like go swimming with everybody. Yeah. Like, and, and there's no tea times and it's just. Well, that's, you know, that's the luxury of a real golf club. I mean, we our tee sheet is jammed, packed. Right. 960 members. Holy shit. Yeah, we and, have like under 300 yeah. or under 400. Yeah. And uh, no, I drive by Wilshire every day because I live you know, three minutes away. And I, I rue the fact that there's no one on that part three. Right. The set, you drive street? by on Third Street? Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's like, there's nobody playing. I could go out and I could be finished in two hours. Right. And you go in the afternoon, you know, I thought about joining Lakeside, and I keep thinking about joining Lakeside, which is more my kind of club. Definitely your speed. I just don't want to tuck in my shirt. Neither do I. Well, what do you do at Wilshire? I tuck it in, and I smile, and I don't know, it's just part of the deal I get. I, trust me, dude, like, it's the last thing I want to do, is tuck yeah. it in. I don't want to tuck it in, I want to put on a fucking belt. Yeah. I don't want to go, like, have to think about a golf shirt. Not only, not only do you uh, have to wear a belt but people I think at Wilshire once corrected the fact that my belt had missed a loop uh, that that's not a rule that's just someone being a dick yeah, yeah. and it was Wilshire yeah and Wilshire um, uh, I'd heard this years ago the uh, club champion uh, took his shoes off in the lounge and he was suspended for a year he must have done more than that and, you, you would uh, need to get three letters to really. You don't have to be it. defensive. I know it's your club. It was before you were there, I'm totally defensive. And then one time, they, there was a guy. It was a very windy day. A guy in a sand trap, and he put his hat backwards. And uh, oh, you can't do that. And somebody uh, drove by and said, uh, "I'm carding you." Yeah, he got a letter. Yeah, I mean, and I wore my hat backwards. Said, and anybody I got... said anything to me at Mountain Gate, if they only got words hurled at them, they'd be lucky. Right. You know, so Mountain Gate is the subway version of golf. See, and I respect that so much. But it's, you know, it's, Wilshire's a better swing-by-swing swing experience. It's a beautiful golf course. When was the last time you played it? 19... What? Um, no, I, uh, I must have did it. I was like, we're going to go right now. Let's go. Get your clubs. Let's go. Dude, okay. here's the thing, man. And this is a really interesting conversation for me because, you know, I have a fantasy. Uh-oh. Of, of deleting my membership there. Deleting it? Yeah, just of canceling it. Of going in and being like, I'm done. So of hacking their computer system, deleting your... No, no, no. Like, <laughs> getting like walking, back. <laughs> walking into admissions upstairs, into billing and being like, hi, I'm, I'm not a member anymore. Yeah. Cancel it. And I'll pay it. my bill. And then just going to Roosevelt or going to Rancho or going to Wilson. Well, Mountain Gate is the... the it's an hour from Expensive here. version of a public course. Yeah. It's an hour from here. From here? I hate driving. Where are we? 
uh, Laurel, can yeah, you got to go like forty minutes? Or yeah, but any traffic, and you're looking at an hour yeah. twenty. What it's about like, uh, Mulholland? Yeah, but I mean, I'm gonna get like I can't drink a fizzy beverage, or I'll just throw up. It's so windy. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh my God! I know I'm 37, but I, I have a I, new assessment of who you are as a man. <laughs> no, I just I don't really enjoy driving through LA. I, I get that. I don't. I and I um, you know, I've driven since I started driving a cab. You know, I used to do 13 hours a day in a cab. But even New York is different. New York's a bit more of like there's a momentum, and you can hit the lights on Sixth Ave. Here it's just like, in the morning. You know, you yeah. start at four in the afternoon. There's no hitting the lights on Sixth Avenue. <laughs> I used to live on I used to live on Sixth Avenue and Twenty Third Street in the Progressive Lights. Right. At three o'clock in the morning, I called nine one one four times a week. Was the cab? Well, as a cab driver, what you would do is manipulate your position on the street, um, kind of like a you know, kind of like you're in the Indy Five Hundred. Because you don't want to be first. Well, you do want to be first. You want to be first on one side of the street or the other. With an empty lane in front of you. Why one side of the street or the other? Because the hand goes up, you're quick to, to, to pull over and get that fare. Ah, right. So you're all looking for fares at 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. So you're, you're jo- jockeying for position, getting to the lights, and trying to time the progressive lights 26 miles an hour to make it perfectly, and everyone's going 31 miles an hour and hitting their brakes and every now and then, one cab driver goes to hell with it and tries to get ahead, and they get cross-swiped uh, on 23rd and 6th. And uh, I'm calling 911 at 4 in the morning. Uh, what was on the corner of 23rd and 6th in these years? Because now Citibank. it's a fucking Best Buy. Citibank was... Um, I lived right above the Citibank. I could drill, okay. drill down and, and get my $14 <laughs> right out of the bank anytime I wanted. No problem. They didn't mind. Um, the noise, one of the second noisiest, uh, uh, apartment I've ever had. Um, subway right underneath. So, uh, so I would hear the right. ding, ding. And the F train's like kind of a squeaky train. Well, they're it's all, got, it's got a lot of a winding road. No, WH40 on the, on the, no. <laughs> on the F line. Um, and, and we had two metal plates outside that were there for three years. And so at four in the morning, the trucks would go right. over the metal plates. And, um, and then just, you know, it was a gunfight out, outside my window once. I was, I was literally at speed dial 911. <laughs> Three letters is too much. <laughs> yeah, 911 is not why. Just put it on number one speed dial in the days right. of speed, speed dial. And um, uh, where were we about golf? Well, we were talking about wheelchair, and I was trying to justify my position. Here's the real truth, though. is Oh, driving. Yeah, you don't want to drive there. It's a drive. pain in the ass to drive to Mountain. Yeah, Bay. I couldn't do it. Here's the thing. I didn't join, to be totally upfront. My ex joined because I loved golf and it was a gift to me. Oh. I never would have guessed I would ever be a member at a private club and I never would have and you broke, assumed that financial responsibility. And you broke up because you played too much golf. Yes, no. No, we broke up for many other reasons. In fact, I don't have enough fingers. But um, we, that, we joined together. could have been reason number one. It could have been. I mean, that was, yeah. <laughs> one? No, no uh, middle one. finger. Um, okay, moving on. Um, and so it was like a, a real wonderful gift that I never would have expected I would ever experience in my life. Yeah. And this was at the time when, you know, I didn't really... Now my job is in golf. I don't know if you've seen the show that we do. But, you know, now I travel around the world and, like, shoot this show that's like the Anthony Bourdain of golf, kind of making it m- more accessible for 
everybody out there. So You should ask me to show you around the world and all the places that I've played as one episode that will take six months to shoot. I love it. What's your schedule look like? <laughs> What's your schedule look like and what can we talk about Ray? Can we make an offer right now? <laughs> Um, uh, I don't know if a rate's necessary. Just, the, the, you know, just the expenses. All expenses paid. Coach? No. No. <laughs> no, because you travel with golf clubs, and you, you know, you don't want to pay the extra hundred bucks for the golf clubs to go in the thing. I hear you. Well, I would love to talk about that. Okay. That would be really fun. That would be fun, even if it's just a short track. Now, you should. I should take you to Malahide, and I should take you to the Irish, and I should take you to Dab- Dab- Dabney's. I would love all that. Um, uh, I played I, Port Marnock, but I haven't played... So Port Marnock Links is better. Oh, wait, is that south? It's next to it. I don't know. No directions there. But there's there's, there's water the, everywhere. You're telling me that the tiny... Well, what about... Did you play Royal County Down? No, but I played the Island Club, which is probably oh. the most beautiful. It's on the island facing Malahide. Right. And it's uh, gorgeous and impossible. Yeah. Like I lost 11 balls. Like all women. <laughs> it's fescue everywhere, you know, kind of like Beth Page. Right. And um, I love Beth Page. To me, that's an example of a perfect golf course that straddles. I mean, obviously the golf is amazing, but you've also got the culture around it. Yeah. Public. Well, that's talk about a public course. Like in the old days, because I, I got to know all the guys. It was Joe Namath's charity um, is there, and mm-hmm. that's when I got to play, and the, and some some celebrities, so called celebrities, got to play on their own. So called. Uh, well, you know. Um, and I played with Ed Marinaro, um, f- former football player, who was on Hill Street Blues, played for Penn State, right? Ed Marinaro. And, Do, you know um, sports? Do you know sports, Jeff? A little bit here and there. Okay. And a, few, a couple <laughs> other guys, and they, they, they shot pretty well. And, um, uh, but, but the stories about Beth Page is that, uh, you know, in the old days, before digital, uh, the, the digital world, people used to sleep overnight in the parking lot right. to get on the T-sheet when uh, the starter showed up. And, you know, the New York munis are great because all the ex-cops are starters and, you know, and they don't take any crap at all. Nah. And they give, you, they give you all kinds of shit. And, um, uh, and they're just characters. They're just so much fun to talk to. And um, uh, so there's, there's that. You get that in New York, which I, I, I miss here. I don't, yeah. I don't know what's happening with these people here. No, well, and I mean, you could even zoom out and look at America. Look like, at the, the, the caddies at uh, St. Andrews, you know, I mean, yeah. ev- everyone's a character. Everyone's yeah. got a story. Everyone's Birds are landing on their fingers. Everyone's hiding a bottle of booze in their back pocket. Right. And, and, you know, ev- uh, you know and, and out here, I even did, okay, here's an example. This is my hatred of L.A. Um, I, I, uh, which is. You've lived in L.A. for 40 years. I think 67 And you wear years. a New York hat every day. Every day. And I and I and I actually drive to get somewhere, which pisses everybody off here, right? Because they just want to drive along, and they're fine with that until somebody else wants to get somewhere, then they get pissed off, right? Right. Um, and uh, <clears throat> where are they all going? There's no destination know. here, and it's always at like the middle of the day, middle of the Saturday afternoon. The four or five is jammed. Yeah. Why? It's fucked. Where are they going? I can't do it. That's why I don't know how you go to Mountain View. If you followed them all there, there still won't be a there there. <laughs> There's <laughs> nowhere they're going. Into emptiness. There's nothing to do, so they drive. They're driving away from something, I think. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but um, what was I saying? It was going to be good. Uh, yeah, you had... Uh, well, I don't know what you were going to say. Oh, you were talking to her about uh, your disdain for L.A. in a way. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah I hate L.A. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I hate L.A. Driving... You're going somewhere. 
That's gone. Cab. It's totally gone. Totally gone. Dude, how are you guys doing? Personalities of people I, in LA? No. I got to piss so bad. Can I take a break? Do you, do you, <laughs> I don't know what it is. No, I think you should leave about four minutes of dead air on this podcast. <laughs> no talking. Or Insert maybe take the mic with you and we can <laughs> hear what's happening. Jeff's got a lot of questions. I'm going to give Jeff. You guys are good, right? It's not offensive if I leave. Do you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> I'm not going with you if that's your question. I got two. I got two bathrooms. No, you go by yourself. All right. I can wait. Jeff, do you need to go to the bathroom? No, I'm good. I'm going okay, to you wait. You guys keep talking. I'm going to wait until the interview is actually over. Yeah, I, I know it's unprofessional, but I will get like a urinary tract. I've never seen this on TV, ever. <laughs> no. I've never seen a guy just go, I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. President, I'm Jimmy sorry. Jimmy Fallon doesn't walk off. Like uh, yeah. <laughs> Do they do, they must get bathroom. I fucked it up. I had a coffee, which is a diuretic. I'm, I'm drinking coffee. The cookie's a diuretic. Is it really? Yeah. It's gluten-free. It makes you... Like, I'm telling you, the more we talk about it, it's just like, go, go, go. Just, like, just think about Niagara Falls. See, so now I gotta bend over. Like, it's like, that's go. how bad it is. We'll keep rolling? Yeah, just okay. talk about it. <laughs> uh, well, I always wondered, how did you, I mean, I'm impressed by everybody in the cast of the West Wing memorizing all of that thick dialogue and getting that down. I mean, without rehearsals, especially in television, you're not rehearsing. No, we, very much. we rehearsed. That oh, was you did a, rehearse? We insisted on it. It was an atmosphere where we all kind of come from theater. Um, and I, I specifically insisted on it. If, it, if, if directors came that were quick to start shooting and I was like, no, 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 no. And, uh, it was scheduled in our time and it actually saves time if they stopped and studied that for a half a minute because the questions and the problems will come later unless you, uh, unless you rehearse. Um, was the, uh, the shooting and the shot selection part of that rehearsal as well? So the camera well, the, 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 well, the director would discover yeah. that his shot plan might be different because of what we did. And that was, also, that was often one of the, the conflicts of new directors is that they wouldn't see us first and then decide on their shots. Uh, they, would ha- or they would have come in over the weekend or something with other bodies and worked out a shot scheme. As, and, and, and we'd come in and, and some director would go, Richard, you're going over there. And I went, excuse me? You're going to go over there. And I go, why am I going over there? Oh, you're just going to go over there. And I go, no, I'm not. You know, I, I don't, we don't move arbitrarily on this show. You know, we, that's not who we are. Yeah. Uh, that was rare. Usually uh, the culture was we, we rehearsed. But, but um, it, rehearsals really only made sense. Like rehearsals now... Nowadays, on the shows I'm doing now, people rehearse just to kind of learn the lines. Uh, but if we didn't, we weren't already running and up to speed, then um, rehearsals were not valuable. Yeah. So we all had assistants, and we had a person who was hired the first four years anyway, who was the dia- called the dialogue coach, who used to run lines with us. We were always running lines. So when I said 80-hour weeks before, a lot of it was... You know, maybe we work 65, 70, but then two hours every day after after work in our trailers, we'd be running lines for the next day. What's even impressive tied into that is that when Aaron was there for those four years, I think he wrote pretty much all 22 episodes in a season. Yeah, that... I think he wrote every one in those four years except one. John uh-huh. Robbie Bates wrote, wrote one episode, playwright. It's just, it's so rare in television that, you know, one... Writer writes all the episodes. I, and, I don't know how he functioned. <laughs> on, on top of that, in the first year, he was also doing sports night. So he wrote 44 hours of television. Wow. And he was doing like a lot of drugs, right? Sorry. What can you say? Apparently, that's, uh, that's uh, how he did it. What, what is that, though? Why is like the creative person always so troubled? 
Well, that's, that's a whole discussion, but um, uh, I think uh, when people are unhappy, it's what begins the uh, process of questioning what this world is all about. And people feel either left out or in pain, or things happen in their life that make no sense because they seem un unjustifiably picked on, mm. or um, um, or they have the chemical makeup that makes getting along in the world difficult. And I, and it, uh, I think they begin to question and they begin to look for sources of expression to express the pain. That's that's my theory on it. Um, there are some happy people who are creative. Uh, they're not very interesting, but they're creative. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I, yeah, I would say that that's that's uh, that's my theory anyway. How is it? You know, I was looking at all of your roles and all of your opportunities, even in modern television and cinema. I mean, I don't know how much, like, I don't know how much, you as a professional, I don't know what, if you look at everything that's made this year, how much of it is actually good. I don't know what that percentage is, but <clears throat> what I do know is when I look at all of your work, it's all, like, you're a fucking actor. Like, you're a really like a real fucking actor. And I'm wondering how much of that is like the roles you're picking or how much of it is it just you're bringing it in every role? Well, I've always said that the, the awards that people get, you know, there's a bit of an Emmy push for, for the good doctor now this year. The awards that, that, that you get are, um, uh, are really misdirected. They, you should get re rewarded or awarded for bringing to life in an, in an even interesting and entertaining way, really bad writing. Because that's hard. That is really hard. You know, a lot of times uh, you used to hear the word actor-proof, you know, like a David Mamet play is actor-proof. Whoever yeah. does this turns out not to be true. But, it, uh, you know, it, it feels like death of a salesman. Whoever does it, the play is going to be compelling and moving. Um, in many ways, Sorkin... You know, a different cast for his other shows. I don't know how you feel about his other shows, but you know, they're they're at least um, entertaining and compelling in some way. And um, uh, uh, but bad writing uh, uh, really exposes actors, like um, actors uh, uh, that don't have the skill or the wherewithal or the drive or the intuition, the instincts to uh, create uh, a life. A soul and also an interaction with other people that's that's interesting to them, so that it would be interesting to somebody else, um, are left uh, vulnerable to how weak uh, those moments are, and they come across as bad. That's the hardest thing, and I would say eighty percent, seventy percent of the work that I've done, the writing is less than less than great, at the very least. So you either started out as a director or started out wanting to be a director? No, I, I started, I, acting was frightened the hell out of me. I, I did it once. I, I fell into acting and fell into a professional program at City College of New York. So I couldn't have dropped out of high school if I went to college. And you got the equivalency diploma. Yes, that's true. So you did drop out. The QED, what do you call it? GED. Yeah. I got it when I was in rehab. You did? Yeah. <laughs> really? And then I dropped out of college too. Which college? Uh, I was going to photography school in Philadelphia. So the, it had no name, just photography school? It was called the Art Institute of Philadelphia. Many people confuse it with the much more prestigious school, 
the Institute of the Arts, which I didn't go to. I went to the McDonald's of colleges. <laughs> and I couldn't even hack it. Listen, the college I went to had open admissions. City University had open admissions in those days. Oh, right. So it was the only way that I... I had one college letter. Right. Uh, and I went to all, I went to Horace Mann, which is one of the most prestigious, uh, elitist schools in the country. They all go to Ivy League schools. Yeah. 100 kids in a class, 10 go to Harvard, 10 go to... It's in Manhattan, where is it? It's in the Bronx. And, oh, it's the and, Bronx. and then um, it was all boys back then. It was a horrible place. And then I went uh, to Bronx High School of Science, which is the hardest school in the public school system to get into. And um, just didn't want to go. You know, I, just, I, had, I had some serious issues about uh, life in those days. And, and I just you didn't, didn't want to tuck your shirt in? Didn't want to tuck my shirt in or show up before noon. <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> And they didn't give me a graduating schedule, and then, and then uh, somebody said, my guidance counselor, Mrs. Hody, she was a sweetheart, she was crying. She said, some people are late, are late uh, developers, some people, and she was crying, she was so sweet. And um, I still can do her signature to this day. <laughs> I needed it to get around school when I came in at noon. Right. And my homeroom teacher, Jay Seidenstein, and of course my parents' signatures are very easy. Those are all very valuable. Um, but I, I went to a, a night school at Washington Irving, which was an all-girls school by day. And I had the best time at night school. Interesting. First of all, the, all the teachers wanted to be there. I remember the English teacher I just loved. And we were reading Camus. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden I had an interest in, in going and staying. And, and then I found that there were... Uh, families, entire Dominican families that needed me to cheat for them to get their diplomas. <laughs> and I was like, uh, they didn't speak English. And you they, had a purpose. They just wanted uh, diplomas so I can get a job. So I, that's, that's a mission. So I helped people graduate that way. And then uh, I made friends with a, an ex-Cuban junkie uh, refugee. And um, no, he was always Cuban, but a Cuban refugee ex-junkie. Um, and uh, uh, an Indian, uh, East Indian um, uh, businessman who wore three-piece suits and really big, thick ties, um, you know, the knots, the Windsors. I think it was the first time I ever saw a Windsor knot. And really nice rings and, and jewelry and very well put together. And the three of us became a triumvirate for some reason. We all had the same classes, and we were best friends. And uh, he was had to get his high school diploma because he had been accepted by Columbia School of Business to get his master's, which you can be accepted to on professional experience uh, if you haven't had, uh, been to college and have a college degree, but you need a high school diploma. Silly, arbitrary role. So he was there to get his diploma so he could go to the Columbia School of Business. right? And the other kid um, was just trying to get, uh, uh, get through life and, and start a constructive life. And the three of us you know, hung out all the time. Um, I loved that experience. You know, that was just a great experience. Why? I mean, it's not just that waking up in the morning, right? I mean, this is something much well, it bigger. Night, it was night school. And but I drove, that's not drove, the only thing. I drove a cab during the day. I was able to make some money. How old are you, 16? No, I'm uh, 17. Wow. Or 18. 17. Did no, you ever get 17. driving the cab? No, I, got, I, I thought I would <clears throat> about four different times. Did you guys have the light on the back at that point? The what? The light on the back. You know, you could switch the light on to let the cops know that you're in trouble. No. Yeah. No, we had a partition which had 
which was always dumb to me because there was no, there was space between the back seat and the and the driver's seat. Yeah, they could totally come around and get your just neck. Put the no, just put the gun around the <laughs> you know the corner, and then you couldn't hear. It was hot. Yeah. Your passengers would suffocate if you closed the partition. So no one ever closed the partition. And when I did, I couldn't hear anybody, and it was like, right. so the hell with that. And I decided. I'm going to pick up everybody because in those days there was a lot of profiling. Yeah, and, still. Uh, and I went to City College where I would go out at one in the morning after rehearsal with um, my friends who were black or Spanish and they wouldn't stop for us. You know, so I, I, I witnessed it firsthand. Mm. And I made a choice. I'm going to stop for whoever puts their hand up just to save my own sanity because how, how do you choose? How do you go, that person's okay? You know, and uh, Al McGuire, who used to... Um, went to St. John's and coached at South Carolina basketball and used to be the color commentary guy in college basketball. He used to tell stories. And he said, there's two jobs you should, you should always have to kind of understand life before you embark on your journey. Bartending and driving a cab. Mm. Because you will learn that there is no way that you can judge people based on how they look. And he was right. And so those times when I thought, okay, you know, I got said I was going to stop. I got to stop. These guys look like they're going to take me, and uh, they would be happy and friendly and and tip me really well because they appreciated that I picked them up. And then you know, an East Side woman going to Park Avenue throws a quarter in the dish from from a fare from Kennedy, and uh, literally took the quarter and threw it back out on the street. You know, I mean, that was I'll never forget that woman. I mean, so what a bitch. Excuse my French. And, um, um, uh, you know, so I learned, uh, but there was a couple of times when there's some odd behavior in the back. Um, this one a guy took me to the Lower East Side back when there was no buildings by the river and I was under the, L, the, the, the um, FDR Winsburg? Drive. Oh, okay. Way, way downtown. Oh, wow. And, um, and was acting jumpy and weird in the back. And I went, all right, this is... And I had a method... As soon as I felt nervous, I would start driving very aggressively. <laughs> and I started aggressive was my default position. Right. So very aggressive for me was near reckless. Right. And I would purposely make like turns. Trying to, to get pulled over? No, no, no. Uh, uh, no, cops aren't going to do anything. But, but, but making turns to make them physically uncomfortable. So they, they would try to throw them across the back of the cab. Nobody wore seatbelts or anything. Right. And um, and just to just to kind of reverse the fear, yeah, throw some fear into the yeah. back seat. You're my car, bitch. Yeah, it was kind right. of that kind of uh, you know, and I was scared. Yeah, and so that made that easier because like you're a growling dog. Yeah, and um, and then I had stopped. I remember on this corner, and there's no one around, um, and he's acting nervous in the back seat. It was behavior that I really was looking at, and, and nothing else, and um, uh, and I kept. I had a method of keeping the car in park and keeping my left lane in the, uh, my left lane, my left foot on the brake and my right foot feeding a little bit of gas and pressing the brake so that as soon as I let go of the brake, um, the car would jerk and throw the guy back. Right. Um, so, as so as soon as, if I saw any metal, I was going to jam it. And and I, I aimed. I, I knew there was a there was a pillar supporting the freeway, and I would go right into that. Just head first. That was it. Was head first. Just slam into it, throw him into the partition, 
Um, and uh, I just saw it on Born. We watched Born Three. Yeah. Last night, he did that so a couple good. of times. So good. He did it. Are you blown away? I mean, I mean this is like a whole other life <laughs> compared to what I mean now. I mean, you've had this whole career, but <clears throat> does that seem like a completely different world to you when you were living that? Doesn't sound that different. He said he drives very aggressively. <laughs> I can see him hitting a light post <laughs> on Ventura. Um, I would, I would never be on Ventura Boulevard. Yeah, I was thinking that, and we're like third. Uh, I would take Burbank if I want to move oh, in the valley. I'd go oh. to Burbank. More on Park is also a good shortcut around. More, More Park. Good. Yeah. Ventura, yeah, well, just once you hit it, if you're further, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Ventura uh, just rolls off the tongue a little bit. I'm sorry. I don't mind Ventura. It's the only thing that looks like like Queens Boulevard that right. we have in LA, where there are actually stores and not mini malls. Right. Um, so wait, what year is this that you're that you're uh, dry, trying to hit the foundation uh, of the FDR? 1938. Wow. <laughs> no, it was 1980. That I don't know what year, but I drove from about 77 till about 82. Dude, the 80s in New York was like. Well, there like was ten different. cab drivers killed a year on average. Oh wow, that's um, less than I was by, ro- by robberies. Wow, um, killed though is different than, yeah. than just stabbed. Or oh, no, no, every night. <clears throat> one of the reasons, <coughs> excuse me, I decided to not drive myself insane uh, and pick up everybody is that every day at shakeup they called it when we'd come in in the afternoon on the night shift and wait for our cabs, and they loved me because I never took breaks, so I made more money than anybody else. Sure. So I wouldn't stay there long. They'd want to get me out. That was my reward for, for um, not peeing for twelve hours, because <laughs> I wanted to work the, as little days as possible. So right. I thought every hour I take off, uh, if you add by ten or eleven, that's an extra day. Yeah. So I I want you know six days a month, and I could make my nut of two. Th- I was paying two thirty a month for rent. Right. I had a, a phone bill, uh, a, a, a con ed bill, and a slice of pizza. Right. And that's all I cared about. And um, uh, and then I would work and do And it. you had no interest in being an actor? No, I was, uh, I was interested in theater, and I, and I had a theater company at some point. And mm-hmm. I was, I think, assistant directing, finding ways to help plays off-off-Broadway. But at that point, even, there was no glamour. No what? No glamour. You never glamour. had some, like... You know, you, know, you know in the beginning There's of... There's still no glamour. <laughs> but you know in the beginning of Pretty Woman... When he's like, everyone comes to Hollywood with a dream. Oh, no, I didn't come here with a dream. I came here to get away from bad memories on every street corner in New York. Do you have any dreams? <laughs> yeah, for the Yankees to win another one. <laughs> so um, I think it's interesting. A lot of actors, they treat it like it is like a profession. I mean, sometimes it is art, but other times it's, it's well, a job like anything else. Well, for me, for me, it really was a curiosity. Yeah. And that's what, uh, you know, I was uh, clearly lost, you know, and dropping out of high school and, and not knowing what I was doing. Luckily, City College was there, and I left there and moved to Colorado and came back and forged my way back in. Um, that's Rin Tin Tin, in case anyone's wondering. Yes, yeah, some, someone must be at the door. Um, Does anyone need to go pee? All right, never mind. Um, <laughs> Uh, I get interrupted and I forget where I am. I'm sorry. That's okay. Not, it's not your fault. I can go grab him. It is your dog's fault. Oh, uh, why, why you wanted to become an actor. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> small, uh, small question. So I was, you know, a lost soul. The idea of, of uh, a career for me was like silly. I, I thought, you know, if I can make enough to cover my 230 a month, um, whether it was driving a cab or later on I found proofreading in law firms, I'd make enough money and I could go travel. I could get out. You know, um, New York was, everyone was, it was urban blight. Everyone was gone. 
you know, real estate was cheap in New York back then, and, and um, you know, for, for anyone not rich, you know. And, um, uh, and so, but I was very curious because, I mean, clearly if somebody is in pain or in having some trouble and then they go to a movie or a play and they forget themselves for two hours, that was fascinating to me. So I, scientifically I was curious as to what is it that causes this trance hmm. that can capture people, a collective group of people, which sadly we don't have as much anymore because of digitalized um, content and so on, but where a group of people are, are swept away by a story. And that was fascinating. So, And then I would see another movie with the same director and the same actors, and it, they didn't do that to me. So that became like, how does that happen? And so uh, I fell back into it. I, I did take a theater class, fell back into a professional training program in City College. They asked me to audition for. Very lucky to get in. Most of those kids were from performing arts high school in tights. You know, and um, yeah, I showed up with a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And um, uh, happened to be Earl Gister, who was one of the great teachers in the country at the time, who came to City to run the, before he went on to run the Yale School of Drama. And New York City had all these amazing theater people, you know, from the New Lafayette Theater in Harlem and the Open Theater and Herman Shumlin, who directed the original Inherit the Wind, that was 90 years old, was teaching there. You know, that's how artists in New York made a living. Um, Joseph Heller and Kurt Vonnegut were teaching at City College at that time. Whoa. And all the old lefties from the 50s were teaching there. And modern European history, I had a guy who fought in the Spanish Civil War teaching us modern European history. It was incredible fucking place, City College. And, and every language in the world was spoken in the, uh, in the lunchroom, you know, and it was just a great place. And um, uh, so I, to me, it was a curiosity. And Earl and I used to sit and talk over tubs of coffee and, and his lucky strikes and um, about life and politics and, and all this stuff in theater. Um, and, uh, uh, and I'd ask him, you know, you know, what is it? What is it about? <coughs> Excuse me. And um, uh, and then, you know, I, I didn't even act in his class. It was too scary. And uh, eventually I acted in a couple of plays in college, And but directed. I directed uh, a couple of plays as well, and that's what I became interested in. I did one play. My girlfriend was going on an audition in Brooklyn uh, for Blues for Mr. Charlie by James Baldwin, and I went, and I figured I'd play one of the people in White Town. It was White Town and Black Town. Beautiful play about the Emmett Till case, the first white man, black man to be brought to trial for killing, first white man to be brought to trial for killing a black man in Mississippi, 1954. And um, at Fort Greene, it was a paying job, $35 a show. And I went in thinking I'd get one of the townspeople and I ended up with the lead, the murderer, um, whose name was Lyle, who I named my dog after because I got my dog that we talked about before of 17 years, I got him, um, I named him after that character. Um, and it was so hard for me that I had to uh, get to Fort Greene at 12 noon to start warming up and relaxing for my eight o'clock performance. Oh, you got there eight hours early. I thought you meant you were going back on the morning thing with school. No. Eight hours of prep, what would you do? Uh, just, I would kept, I kept going over the play and I kept uh, doing these exercises I learned in college. And yeah, that's right. I read something you're regarded on set as kind of extreme, even currently. Is this how, true? How so? <laughs> what, what is, what, what did you read? Have exactly? you talked to one of his directors recently? Or? Yeah, well, I was talking with Aaron. No, um, 
Yeah, no, I, it just said something about your, um, I can't remember the wording. I kind of passed it over, but it didn't mean it didn't, there wasn't much else there. But it was basically like uh, your methods, something about your methods are very uh, intense. Oh, okay. Which seems funny because you're very low key. Um, yeah. Moving on. Um, no, I, <laughs> I don't know. I would need to know the context and who said it, and then I would know why he said it. Um, but, Some asshole, clearly. Um, but uh, uh, I wouldn't say the methodology is intense, but I like to be present on set, and when somebody else isn't, I, I wake them up. So may, maybe that's the method by which, on which they're, by which they're talking about. It's funny because... Well, first of all, what you were saying earlier about the group of people being transfixed by a certain thing and forgetting themselves, yeah. that reminded me of your first experience playing golf a little bit. Yeah, and, that's and right. You, can you talk about that? I mean, is there anything to talk about? Well, anytime you forget your life um, and the problems associated and the everyday uh, issues and the thousands of thoughts that go through your brain every millisecond, um, anytime that can disappear and I guess it's an alpha state of some kind it's a zone a zen zone <laughs> a zoom zen zone um, you know it's you talk you, you watch athletes get into it you saw James Harden get out of it last night you saw just Steph Curry get into it last night there's a way where your concentration is forward and not on yourself it's why people are so gratified by service by um, um, servicing other people by by um, becoming nurses or, or healers or charity work because their focus is on people who need help and not on themselves. And in athletics and in art, your focus is on the object or the thing of creation. And actors, because they're using their own bodies as their instrument instead of a musician who's using music to, to join a, a symphony or to join a quartet or even solo to create music that's already been created on the page, um, unless they're improvising, you know, in, j in jazz or something. Um, uh, you know, that's um, then your focus is out. You know, uh, but actors are there because they're using their own bodies. Their focus is in sometimes, and the trick to me is how do you get a bunch of actors to focus on something other than themselves <laughs> and to and to work on what's happening between people like a play to me and, and a movie for that matter is defined by a chain of events a chain of moments that happens between people so it's not your turn my turn your turn my turn it's what happens between you that creates the necessity for the next thing that creates the 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 moment that requires somebody to do something about it. It's a chain link of moments. And once it's broken, which is why the trance doesn't happen, once it's broken, you have to start a new play, right? Once, once an actor becomes self-conscious and is doing something because he wants to have a really cool death or because he wants to get a laugh, um, and so even subliminally, I'll notice it because it's my craft, but subliminally the audience comes out of it. And so the, the play's over. So now you're watching actors perform, and very often those are the actors that get the awards because all you're doing is watching them. And a lot of people will go, wow, he's doing that really well. Oh, wow, she's doing that really well. Oh, he's amazing. Well, as soon as you say, oh, he's amazing, you're not watching the story anymore, are you? You're watching an actor. 
See, for me, I always felt like, you know, someone even like uh, Paul Newman, you know, it's like the simplest behavior is interesting when you're watching him and it's not indulgence in any way. You know, he's like, well, I was watching The Verdict recently yeah. and everything he does is serving the emotional core of the story. It's not indulgent. We, we also have Sidney Lumet yeah. and David Mamet who wrote it and Sidney Lumet who directed it and you have Jack Warden and you have Lindsay Krause who was um, Mamet's wife at the time and all these great actors around him. And so, yeah, he, he, he got Sidney Lumet who understood what story was and understood what the bigger picture was and even Al Pacino, who, who, who I adore, but who was capable of getting, falling, you know, flying off the tracks into his own movie. Um, <clears throat> uh, um, uh, but Pacino is always great in a Lumet movie, right? Um, Serpico and um, uh, Dog Day, Afternoon. And, um, uh, and yeah, and Newman, Newman was so talented and... Uh, Often it was very simple and specific, and Joanne Woodward was his wife, and they lived and died uh, in theater and in acting and all that. Alison Janney's, uh, uh, Paul Newman um, championed Alison Janney's start in, uh, at her college in Ohio. Yeah, so that's a good example of it. And yeah, it's hard to see that nowadays, especially in film. you got to go to some independent somewhere like uh, th Three Billboards. Oh, yeah. Three billboards, the story is more important than anybody. Right? Great ensemble. Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell. And these are theater yeah. theater people, right? I mean, Francis is a theater, theater person, and she knows, you know, she's egocentric, no doubt. I mean, I don't know, egocentric, but she's got a very strong ego. But that doesn't take over that, that movie, um, you know. Um, she's really working with Sam Rockwell, who's phenomenal in it, and... And everybody else, you know, uh, that's an example. They're hard to find those. Do you ever uh, take actors aside that you're working with if you think they're sort of going off course and being too self-indulgent? Say, hey, you know, you can kind of bring it down no, a little bit. No, but I will. Uh, 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 the punishment is to react off of exactly what they're doing. So that um, uh, uh, so if they do something that makes no sense to me in the moment, um, then I react to them like they are making no sense. <laughs> Can you, so well, if, can if, you give an example? If they want to be really serious about something, yeah, you know, um, I don't want to use an example of my current show because it's too something. Um, but um, uh, uh, you know, uh, it could be hypothetical. It could be anything. It could be any line. If it's the West Wing, it could be uh, uh, the president wants to see you. You know, if I get that and I get uh, an actor who is funny, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Just make a face. Uh, you know what, what I what, what I did was react to him like like a dog who who heard a sound he doesn't recognize. You know, and and I can still say my line, but that's the subtext now. Now you've made it about how silly you are, instead of about the president needs to see me. And so, what does the director <coughs> say in that moment? Do they know? They rarely notice. Really? Um, yeah, they really notice on the day. Uh, they might edit around it later if the scene has changed to, for the better. Um, uh, smart ones will use it. You're kind of a, uh, like, I'm, you're kind of a, um, what's the, the word that I'm thinking of is fucker, but I'm not, it's not really what I want to say to you. But my intentions are all good. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. I will, I will, um, uh, very often I, I will be, uh, 
trying to, you know, not to go to a place where I'm, I'm literally fucking with people, and especially on stage. And uh, I find myself el trying to elevate and um, helping. Uh, and then something might happen that just pisses me off. Like, they, they don't appreciate what I'm doing. And there's one example recently on the West End in London where directors and producers from other shows came up to me and said, does, does this actor have any idea how lucky they are that you're on stage with them? And I went, no. Um, and that people were seeing that I was elevating this person. And, um, and then something happened that pissed me off. And uh, I went, and it was a betrayal of everything that I was doing to help. And I went, all right, all bets are off now. Um, and I would decided, whatever you do, I'm going to react truthfully. And what happened is I started getting massive laughs because the audience just sees it, <laughs> and it's much more truth. It's much more truthful. And um, uh, and uh, the actor responded in kind because they realized what's happening and it woke them up so you went off script or you just went behaviorally i've gone off script very very rarely really once i went off script with somebody else um uh but for same reasons it takes me sadly in theater too long to get to the point where all bets are off like fly with me on this ride and we will have a great time but if you don't i'm not going to uh to um, I shouldn't be it shouldn't be necessary for me to adjust what my instincts because you're lagging behind or because you have a weird idea of what should be happening here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. So give them the truth, and chances are they'll be scared back into the truth back at you, and that's what happened in this case. And this particular actor became great, not great, but you know better, you know. And there was someone who hadn't done a lot of theater, and it wasn't, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a name, who was, it was a stunt cast, and um, I was trying to be helpful, and it turned out that was the stupidest thing I could have done. Because once I got in, your, in what you would call being a fucker, is when they woke up. So why be, why be kind, why be comfortable when being truthful is much more, um, uh, is a much faster way to get to something great and interesting for them as well as me. They might not have known it at the time, but they were a hundred times better. Once I said, okay, all bets are off. Whatever you do, that I'm going to react to. <laughs> you got to the point, at the end of the, the one act, um, this actor did something, and because I was acting truthfully, and there, there was an offer to me, and I, at this, and now I was, instead of taking the offer, which is what the playwright asked me to do, I would look at this actor like, I don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> and it got a huge laugh. And the actor was like looking at me going, take it, take it, take it. And then I would just look at her even more oddly, you know. Uh, cause it, the, uh, oh my goodness. And then the actor tried to change it. Whoa. Um, because they were embarrassed when there's no reason they should have been embarrassed. It was a genuine moment. They, they could have gone with that. This, the audience is seeing somebody odd enough that this person really should think about taking this offer. Because if I just took it, there's something untruthful there. Because she, yeah. this person's acting bizarrely. 
did fit the play that she was that that okay it's, it's out it was a she <laughs> that she was um you know the, the play is about someone who's just off, off excuse me just banging the mic off the charts weird right um and uh, so it, it it wasn't like i was doing something that the that the play didn't support the play asked for it right and so what I was doing before wasn't doing the play justice. What I was doing now was doing the play. So I never, I never, it, it's almost anathema to me for, to make choices that are against the spine of what the, of what the writer wants to accomplish. It's just that it takes a while to really find and ride the actual spine. You know, it takes a lot more courage than you think. And uh, in that case, it, it would have been courageous for me to do that right from the beginning. And and whatever happened happened, do you know what I mean? And I had I needed permission by her being stupid uh, to break my my feeling that I had to help because the last thing you want to do is help another actor. Just think about that for a second. Because what is what is what is interesting drama and for that matter comedy? It's conflict, right? So if you're making it easier for them, that lessens the potential for real moments and real conflict. You want to make it harder for your actor. That's a gift. So smart actors will do that. Smart actors will make it harder for for the, that person to respond or to uh, or, or to stay in the moment or, or whatever, and it wakes them up. And that's a gift. Something happens unexpected to you on stage in front of two thousand people or whatever it is. Um, you you're awake. You're awake, and uh, and the zone kicks in. And that's where you want. You want to be flying. You don't want to be thinking about what's happening next. You want to be in that one moment and flying off a cliff and um, come what may. And that's where a really exciting theater you know, comes from. And it translates on set for a film or a TV show as well. So Alice and Janney and I, John Spencer and I, we had a lot of those kinds of moments. And Allison... Is you know she doesn't take any prisoners. She's just so sweet about it. You love her to death, and then she is a fucker when you act with her because that's her job. You know she's a lot nicer person than I am by default. So you can't get angry at her. But when I do it, people get angry sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a stretch, but have you ever applied this sort of principle of being to, to golf? Yeah. You got it. Well, maybe I should. I think it could be valuable. Um, like if you just stop taking bullshit from random foursomes or something like that. Or, you know what I mean? Like, Well, it would be my... No, that would be the battle in my own head of the 17 guys that are talking while I take a swing in my head. <laughs> uh, to say, I don't care about you. I'm just doing this. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know... I guess I guess the way I'm picturing it is something like this: like you're on the first hole, and the guy's kind of not talking, and you're like, "How you doing?" And he's like, "I'm good." And then you're like, "I asked you a question. How are you really doing?" You know what I mean? Like if you like just went super, not like you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking about that. Like, has well, it what, ever what you? purpose would that serve? You're trying to connect, but I don't really care if I connect. <laughs> my my foursome. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that does seem contrived now that we're talking about. That's it. not the that's not the point of golf. I mean, to me, I don't need to connect uh, to people in life all the time. That's that's exhausting. Uh, 
Mm. It's just more like your one-on-one experience with the game as opposed to people. Yeah, but it's but I can take that 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 way of thinking to my own game. Okay. And go because there is a come hell or high water, I don't care. I'm going to swing uh, uh, hard at this. I'm not going to check up. I'm not going to pull out of the swing. I am going to go. Um, for this drive to that spot and think about that spot instead of what my freaking elbow's doing and how, how deep is the turn and all that crap. And if you just think about where you want that ball to go and stick to that, no matter what happens that day, I bet you that's going to be a, I bet you that's going to be a, 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 a payoff down the road and just think about where you want the ball to be. Your swing's going to be different every day, right? Hmm. What's your handicap? Uh, eight trending up. <laughs> I got to an eight one index. That's the lowest I got, yeah. which I think is a nine at my course. Nine handicap. Yeah, it's a nine at my course too. And um, uh, what's the slope? One thirty two, I want to say. And from you play from the tips or from the the tips are only like sixty eight hundred. So, so you play from the tips. Yeah, it's par seventy one. Yeah. So I play from. I mean, yeah, I've never actually not played from the tips, but the tips are not the tips. It's like, it's yeah, like that's every par four with a good pop is going to be. I mean, if you play the right line, it can still be an eight or a nine iron. You know, there's no four twenty is like the longest par four. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's not. By it's stage. the par threes that uh, that affect me when I play yeah. from the tips because yeah. I'm not getting in the green nine times out of ten anyway. Right. Yeah. So especially when they stretch them out. Yeah, and those greens are tough. Yeah. Um, we should go play Beth Page. That's what we should do. All right. That'd be fun, right? Go for a walk. We could go, we could do a tour of New York golf. That would be fun, Richard. Well, I take you to the, like, when I first started playing, I go back. Did you go to Vanny? My, what? Van Cortland? Well, that's, I, you know, Horace Mann's uh, football team and our baseball team, we practiced at Van, Van Cortland Park. No shit. So I, I didn't know there was a golf course. It's the oldest course in America. Yeah. Oldest public. Oldest public? Um, who cares? Who cares? Who gives a shit? <laughs> Gentlemen only, ladies forbidden. Um, I'm trying to say I'm trying to. I'm being a fucker. I'm trying to. It's okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to elevate this. Uh, <laughs> notice, notice. There's no effect on me. <laughs> um, I will note that. Um, uh, but I, uh, I went and played Van Cortland, but I also played Pelham, uh, and, and Split Rock. Split Rock. Um, which, and the first time, I think the first time I went back to New York and played and my, with my softball buddies, I think we went to Queens somewhere, or I don't know where we were. And it was like, it was literally like playing in a New York subway. Yeah. And I was still, you know, at the 142 level. <laughs> so I was like, I kept uh, uh, chipping the ball across the green like six times. <laughs> and before I understood the etiquette and so on, and... Uh, and at one point, a ball started raining down on the on the on the uh, on the green. And the guys at the tee, they didn't yell. They just said, "Fuck this guy." Because <laughs> you had just been taking so long. That's New York. It was like the hell with this guy. I don't know right. what he's doing. And, <laughs> and I picked up my ball and ran. You know, just screamed something and ran. But uh, um, yeah, Van Cortland. Uh, 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 there's a couple on Staten Island that I play. Yeah, a lot of red. What's it called? Lotteret. There's a bunch of nice ones in Staten Island. Yeah? yeah. Munis? Yeah. Uh, well, they're not munis, but they're like public. Public, private? Yeah, kind of. Hey, I feel like this has gone on a while. I feel like we you're, should end you're this. You're bored. 
I'm not bored. I just I'm You're tired. Just, I'm worried other people are going to be You're bored. You're exhausted. I'm not going to be bored, but I don't think you have to pee again. Something's <laughs> happening. <laughs> no, I partially feel responsible for your time. I feel like you're probably like I made it. Fuck out. I want probably you probably want a cigarette. You know. No, I don't. I don't smoke anymore. What happened? You quit at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. I don't smoke anymore. For I don't smoke anymore. No. Okay. That's good. I mean, you know, vice is the idea is a good one. It's a good idea. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, well, I got that, and then I'm thinking, I don't know, like, I kind of want to end on a good note. I feel like we just had some really good conversation. I think is a this, car alarm just went off. Yeah, my car's a, getting broken. I was going to ask, is that an effect that you put in at the end of the show, or is that real? <laughs> it's just coming into your headphones. Uh, we have we have uh, uh, trips to plan, and, yeah. and Wilshire uh, Mountain Gate, home and home. I love it. Tucked and untucked. I love it. Uh, I'm into it. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Do you have any? It, I usually at the end I say, if you have any questions for me or Jeff, go ahead. So it's not over. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're prolonging. It's process. just a way of I'm getting, the I'm getting mixed messages. Um, do you play golf? Uh, I, I want to. I haven't played a full round yet. I've been going to the driving range recently. To try to kind of. I know a guy that that, that decided to uh, spend a year at at the range. Uh, working on a swing before he ever went to a golf course. It's the smartest thing I ever heard. That's, and also the stupidest. Really patient. Why would you do that? Yeah. When he finally did go to a golf course, was there a lot of pressure to like, I got to perform well, I've been practicing he, he got. It was at Mountain Gate. He yeah. spent a year, and first of all, it's a horrible driving range at Mountain Gate. <laughs> but he spent a year uh, and, and got really good really fast and went over to Lakeside. Um, and I think his claim to fame is that he does Tiger Woods hair. No way. He's a hairdresser. No For way. Tiger Woods. Yeah. Well, he hasn't, you know, look what he did to his head. I mean, it's very got strange. No, he's got no hair left. It's a very strange head of hair. Yeah, he's got no hair. He's got nothing left. Yeah. He's wearing hats. When he takes his hat off, it's very strange. It's strange to see him without hair? It's very strange, yeah. I don't know why. I think he just needs to go with it. Is he covering it? He's not doing a comb over. No, no, no. But I think, like, I don't know. I, th- I think what's weird is that LeBron he's, also. LeBron's he's 40. Also. Yeah. And I think... It just he's a little too young for it, you know? Don't you think? Well, I was like 29. Really? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen you with your hat off yet. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's worse than Tiger. Um, no, I was, uh, you lose your hair when you're, when, you're, when you're young, some of us. <laughs> the leftovers? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it doesn't bother me that he's, I think he's got enough in his life to cover for that one, yeah. if you call it a flaw. I don't call it a million years. My wife loves my head. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. It's not only sweet, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, All other, right, I think that's oh, it. You, want, the, another, uh, you like, want another question? No, no, I just, it's just sort of a thing. I don't yeah. know, because I figured you might have a question. Yeah. I don't um, know. I mean, you've been getting the questions all I'm day. really so self-involved that I, yeah. I have Your only life. question is, when is this over? Are you back with another girl? Yeah, yeah, the paleo cookie uh, recipe. Scripts. Oh, that's right. I yeah. thought that was your ex. Yeah, no, that's my current. No, that's my girlfriend now. I was married. And you were married. I was married. Yeah, and um, long story off mic. Great story. <laughs> Round of golf, and um, then uh, yeah. So then that we broke up like a year and a half ago or more, like maybe a year and. No, this like is that. a girlfriend after this you. This is the wife. This is the wife. And so that I was single for a long time, and for the past. Since December, I've sort of worked into having a lady. Does she play golf? She's taking lessons. Uh-oh. Yeah. 
Gentlemen only. No, I'm kidding. I think it's great because then we can go to Hawaii and I don't have to be like, I'm, I'm bailing for four hours. My wife hates the game, but she, she'll come. She's really busy. She's got her own company and she's an actress as well. But she um, will come with me to Mountain Gate uh, or on if we're on a you know vacation, which is rare, and just bring a book. Right. And be totally happy just to be hanging out with me. In the car. And, and my first... Th- Nine hole thirty eights, like breaking forty, and we're, right. we're with her. And it was only really? nine. I did nine late on a Saturday when there was no one there, and it was quick. And I'm moving quick because there's no one around, and I'm seeing the greens, and I'm not talking to anybody. Yeah. So you you get in the you get in the zone. Right. And my wife taking credit for the first two thirty eights <laughs> I ever shot. <laughs> right. See, I think that sounds perfect. You know, like, because. I don't know. For me, I, I play golf alone. I can only do like four or five holes, and then I just I start to just get like cotton mouth of like social. I don't know. I just oh, I love playing alone. Really? Oh my god! I, I, especially internationally, like really in Scotland and uh, Loch Lomond. Um, I played I played alone, and I, I, I ran into some guys. Got caught me on the back nine. Hmm. As it came around the turn, I started before they opened, because it's light at three in the morning in yeah. June. You know, it's like it's light out. Why isn't? Why don't we just? I'm gonna go play. Right. And um, uh, and I, these two really nice local Scots uh, joined. But I I get into meditation, and I play generally much better when I play alone. Hmm. I get kind. Of, well, well, I also act better alone. Fascinating. <laughs> Do a one man show. I did a one man show and. Um, in London, on the West End, going to an amazing experience for me. But I don't mean that. I mean acting alone, right. like with no audience, with no, <laughs> with no actors, with no camera. I, this it, sounds like a riddle. It's not. Like an, <laughs> is there an actor in the woods? Do they? Uh, yeah, do they exactly. Make a sound? Do they? No, exactly. If an actor falls in the woods, is it? Uh, is it even a performance? Is it a tree? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Um, what, I think we should end. I, I'm, I'm done already. I've already <laughs> left. I've already left. I'm gone. I'm in the car. Thanks for listening. Jeff, you got uh, anything you want to say? Yeah, Good Doctor, that comes back in the fall, right? Good Doctor does come back in the fall. Yeah, and, we, and I have to go up to Van Foxville and shoot it <laughs> in uh, the end of June. No offense to... Sounds like a great Canucks. place. Vancouver, Canada. No, nothing wrong with it. It's very pretty, but I just don't think I should have to present my passport in order to work on an American television show. That is strange. Yeah. It's have given it a DUI. That's uh, how long we've been going, Richard. Six hours and 27 minutes. Exactly. Nailed it. My <laughs> numbers got. I told you, you really my numbers got. You really are. Did you take your SATs? Do they have SATs? I didn't do well on my SATs. Really? No. Why not? Um, I have trouble taking tests. I had trouble sitting down for that long. It surprises me that you work... I'm assuming very well with directors because from what I heard, I feel like every director who would give you a note, you'd be like, I quit. <laughs> I have in my day. Quit. <laughs> um, uh, no, I think, I think what, they, what, they, uh, what they see is someone who's willing to walk away uh, from a job um, uh, if, if, if this, it doesn't make sense. Right. You know? Um, Which is actually, uh, what is it, a good for them? 
I mean, look, it's good directors, in my mind, good directors don't have a problem with me at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll get into our fights, uh, but they're healthy fights. You know, Tommy Shlami, when once on the West Wing, I was not, uh, I've thought, I think I'm getting out of hand with these, you know, I'm constantly battling at that point for the integrity of the character and for the integrity of our, our group. Um, and... Um, at one point, uh, and I didn't say anything for it. I just, I mean, I'm not going to say anything. And I get a knock on my trailer door from Tommy Shlami who goes, uh, what's wrong? And what do you mean? He goes, you're not fighting with me. I miss my, I miss our fights. Because I learn more from our fights than, than any other thing. I, I, I miss them. Don't ever stop. So that's somebody who doesn't mind being challenged. Because he's thought about it. He's one guy who thought about it more than I did. Hmm. Um... Look, like anything, hacks, you know, you look at the current uh, administration in the White House, you know, hacks get defensive really quickly and go on the attack really quickly because they don't know what they're doing. We're seeing it every day in the news, right? Um, uh, and that's true of writers and that's true of uh, cops and that's true of any profession. If they're bad at it, if they haven't done their work, and, and they end up having to cover for themselves and they get on the offensive because they're, they're being defensive. Mm. And um, people who want to do a great job, people who have thought about it and are bringing something to the table, want it to be better. However it gets there is fine. So if somebody has an idea that's different from theirs, they want to hear it. Because... Wow, wouldn't that be awesome if somebody had a better idea than, than me? Because I'm limited. Yeah. Aaron Sorgan was like, give me a better idea. Please, give me a good idea. I'm dying here. You know? And any director, any director worth his salt will be grateful that an actor or a, an AD or a production designer or whoever it is on the team has a thought that will make their story better. That's a good note to end yeah, on. I think yeah, we're going to end. That's a very self-important, pompous kind of note to end on. Yeah. It was a great idea to end the podcast, Richard. I want to thank you for that. My pleasure.